All right. Ladies and gentlemen. This is one of the new... The new lights that I'm going to be using in here. I'm going to be replacing all these these orbs. We're going to be doing a little bit more of um, tidying up. Me and Lauren are going to do some stuff to the walls. and It's going to be good. But I need some stuff also to read with. I bring physical things to read sometimes. I need to figure that out. Welcome to book club, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to book club session number seven for Malachi Martin's Windswept House. And joining us, as always, the co-host of this series is Timothy J. Gordon. TimothyJGordon.com. Timothy, you are lying on your side right now. Ah, yeah, that, I knew, I knew my, my head felt a little weird. What's up? What's up, Frank? It's I'm good. trying different configurations. How the hell are you, buddy? Oh, I'm doing great. I'm really doing great. And I was, I, was, I was saying before, I don't want this book to end. I know. I, I know. It's just, it took 350 pages for the action to really kick in. But, man, it kicked in, you know? And now it's it's too soon. Yes, I know. It's just too soon. Just stop it already. So, I guess the, the the way that we should go about this is as we always do. Let let us just go from start to finish from our you know what happened along the timeline, and and then just bring up key points, key things that we take away, things we thought. Then we go into the thread and into the chat rooms and see what people are saying as well. Uh, overall overall uh, feelings about this this segment. Obviously, as you said. It's uh, it's one where action continues to rise, but uh, anything in particular you want to bring up? Go ahead. Well, thematically, Christian Gladstone has come full circle to uh, addressing the tension in yes. his in his um, the mystery of the Slavic Pope from the Christian Gladstone point of view, which is to say the Catholic traditionalist point of view, which is really just to say the Catholics point of view. And, and so Christian kind of represents me. Remember, we talked about his conversation with Carnesecca, where Carnesecca was like, you know, much earlier in the book, hey, you don't understand this pope. He's kind of new New World Order guy, but he's kind of he's, he's definitely known as a conservative, but New World Order. What the heck? Have you ever considered that he's doing what he can? And then Christian, from that conversation, until about the middle of the reading tonight was trying to be open-minded but now he's like look i, I i'm list i listened to aldo and um i just don't think this pope's enough and then of course it's damien slattery who's his interlocutor and damien slattery says look maybe it's the end of an era maybe it's the end of the pontifical era where there's even a pope and this is kind of what we're considering with with Francis. So this was a huge. I took lots of screenshots. This was a huge, a huge uh, thematic reading yes. from my perspective. Yes, it yeah. was. So let, 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 let's just start from where, what I've I've got, and we'll just we'll, obviously because it's chronological. You jump in along the way, and we can trade quotes, and then we go to the audience. Um, I, what I have here opening up is when we ended last time, we knew that JP2, the Slavic Pope, is preparing to go in for a surgery that is, may, seems to make a lot of people, his allies and his detractors, and outright avowed enemies um, alike, all think that this may be the end. And anyway, he's preparing now for this surgery in the opening of this, this chapter, and he goes on to take note about how every person he considered to be a friend on the world scale is 
has drawn away from him. And on page 445, it shows how uh, he, he says it, of all the world leaders and public personalities who were so regularly in touch with the Holy Father, only one broke the strange silence that had lately fallen over them in this regard. And those eerie, turbulent days drew to a close. The Slavic Pope was alone and already in bed when late on the eve of his operation, a brief note was delivered to him by hand. Quote, I cannot believe, Mikhail Gorbachev had written, that the providence of the Almighty will, will terminate your holiness's services just at this crucial moment in human history. So the only thing he got was a brief note from Mikhail Gorbachev, who, as we know, is a central, fi- well, not central, but a pretty important figure because one of the big themes in this book is how everybody is jockeying around to reshape the world to move us out of this cold war era and to bring russia into the fold which um which yeah which which the pope is uh which the slavic pope understands what game is being played on that one i have that coming up soon but on page 446 we have Damien Slattery. He's obviously still licking his wounds here from being knocked around and almost excommunicated and defrocked. He's kind of on the run right now, and he's hanging out with Christian. And, Tim, I love when these two are in the same room together. The most yeah. fantastic exchanges between these two characters. And here's another thing i got to say. I think it's another credit to Malachi Martin, Father Martin, as a writer as how he so very clearly establishes characters' voices so you know when you're reading it, it feels like two distinct people are talking. He never loses the voices of the characters, and um, I, I love that about this writing. It's a hard thing to do. That's a very hard thing to do as a, a fiction crafter, and uh, absolutely. And it's not just by using dialect and Irish brogue and tricks like that. Those, those devices help, but um, you know when the powerful booming brogue of uh damien slattery is is uh the the dialogue you know is is what you're reading and uh you know i I can recognize christian gladstone's voice like that um so yeah that's that's really really remarkable i agree so so then here we have on page 446 what do i have here he never loses the voice i say that but here we have at 446 um Mm, okay, so, so the whole uh, this is where he starts letting loose on the Pope again, yep. and 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 he lets him have it in this private conversation with Slattery. He says, "This Holy Father is the key." Gladstone's face was flushed with anger. Perhaps Father Aldo is right. Perhaps this Pope is the obedient slave of Our Lady. Perhaps he will bend to her Son's will as she gave it to us at the new uh, as as she gave it to us at the Fatima. Perhaps he is looking at the bigger geopolitical picture and knows man in such a way that religion will have no place any longer. That Fatima message has to do with all of that. But maybe the Pope is just plain mesmerized by geopolitical change. And in the meantime, he's causing more problems than any of us can solve. Now, he went on to say more and more of that. And then exactly what you brought up before, Tim, this was one of those, those, those paragraphs I had to bookmark immediately. Um, Slattery delivers what I would have to imagine at least a few of us were waiting for somebody to say. He said this on page 447. Slattery was frozen into silence. This is after Christian really just emptied the tank. 
He said even that uh, even that afternoon at the Angelicum, when he and Chris had another Donnybrook over uh, Donnybrook over papal motives, he hadn't heard this kind of sentiment from the young cleric. Suddenly, Damon, Damien's own crisis didn't seem to matter so much anymore. And he goes on to say, "There is another possibility, Christian." As deep as it was, Damien's voice sounded like a whisper after Gladstone's barrage of accusations. Quote, It is just possible, is it? It's just possible that from the very beginning of his pontificate, it was already all over. It's possible that the seeds of apostasy had already been sown and were already flourishing. It's possible that Christ had already given up on, the, on this version of the churchly organization. It's possible that like Peter, this Pope was chosen by the Holy Spirit more for his weakness than for his strength, more for his lack of understanding than for his wisdom, more for his love of Jesus than for his understanding of what sort of kingdom Christ intends his creatures to build. Perhaps the Almighty has had enough of all the corruption, in other words, enough of this generation. Perhaps we're all destined to be replaced by a new generation, another race of Catholics, a better, truer, cleaner race. It's just possible that the Slavic Pope is in the truth, is in truth the last Pope of these Catholic times, and it's just possible that he knows it and that he's known it all along. That right there. Wow. Yes. It's, That's what I'm talking about. Yeah. That, that was the exact pair. We're always picking the same stuff uh, to dog ear. This is profound. I mean, between 1996 and now, 2022, you'd say every second or third year this prognostication which is really people weren't seeing it in the middle 90s in the church it's grown more and more apparently true uh, i don't mean ostensibly like it's been proven false but it's grown more and more clearly obviously indisputable and let me say this frank i was talking to my wife about this while we were driving out to dinner tonight um i was talking about this exact page to her and what I said is, look, this this business with the availing time, which gets mentioned again about 10 pages before on uh, that's a little more than that. It's a little more than that. Uh, about about 15 pages before the availing time gets another mention. It's a real plausible explanation, because after the millennium, that's when. All the, there's been this springtime in the church, not based on the, the New World Order of Vatican II, but based on going back. Um, and, and there have been young people that have come, in, come into tradition and realized, like me, I left the church because of the New World Order stuff and the, the modernization. They, they try to keep up with the world uh, watchword of the Second Vatican Council. The, it was it's so obvious now that you see it as a as a Roman Catholic and it was so, it's it's so obvious now that you see it that it's hard to believe that we ever didn't see it in the 80s and 90s growing up in the church so I wonder if it has something to do in a very real way this is very speculative with the availing time which ended around 2000 you know mm -hmm. we, we didn't see how obvious it was all of us who grew up in the 80s and the 90s in the church were like, well, as clearly, what they're selling us at Mass with the new liturgy, the new Code of Canon Law from 1983 that keeps being uh, written about here, the new Catechism from 1993 replacing the Catechism of Trent, which was based, all of these creatures of the post-conciliar church 
make it seem obviously tawdry. I never considered growing up as a teen or preteen making fun of these obvious novelties. Tawdry, and obviously made to be tawdry, it's tawdry novelties, that, that in reality, maybe this is some triple agency by the devil to make everyone you know leave the church so so i yeah i was psyched up at that page that you read and you just just bookmarked yes yes ab- absolutely and it, it was starting making me think about just occultism now if it did expire if that availing time did expire and i and and just so that we're on the same page first of all your your um your video cut out do you know that yeah, I, I could try. You know what? It doesn't matter. I mean, this, you, you this. sound you sound great. We can keep it up. Oh, it's up to yeah. you. Is that better? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah you're, you're back. Okay. I just didn't know if something yeah. you knew what what happened, but um, I didn't know. Sorry. I started Sorry. I started thinking about that, and it just so that we're on the same page. The availing time, because of course that was brought up by the the Capstone uh, Council of Thirteen crew in a, in a prior chapter. I know what you're talking about. That is the time the time that's been given to them, afforded them by the enthronement ritual, right? That's what they're talking about. Okay. Yes, sir. So then what I was thinking of, if that really did expire in 2000, then one hell, one hell, of, a, one hell of a big sacrificial ritual would happen a year later in September. And to think about that link between the two, possible... That that new daisy chain where you want to talk about bringing a, an an entire world down to its knees uh, through the events of September 11th. I mean, I, I, obviously this was all done behind closed doors, and uh, but it had a sacrifice, and the sacrifice was a, a giant one. And uh, I I don't know I, that that really is something to consider there since it's all it all had to be done for new world new world new order purposes um moving on there from there then because they they get back to work right after this they kind of like um they kind of shake off the rust of the the back and forth and they get back to work and piecing together all the stuff that they had been the dots they were trying to connect satanic dots and what finally brings this finally brings christian a little exchange again brings christian to consider that mastriani isn't just a corporate stiff of a cardinal that he may right. actually be helping facilitate something dark and something global. So he's finally starting, and we're going to get to that in a second. But here we go. Um, that's quite the picture. Day by day, they huddled in the library, reviewing their records and names and dates and places, analyzing documents, activities each had collected and verified independently of the other. Getting down, that's quite a picture, wouldn't you say? Slattery studied Christian's map with the sickening disgust because they put together in the map of the homosexual priests, the pedophilia, the location of all the satanic covens. He says, it's a picture of a cover-up, but I can't figure out how such a thing is possible. Given the total number of bishops and priests in the country we're dealing with is relatively a handful. But we do have a big, dirty bubble in the center of the church over here, and yet no official is screaming. Are all the baddies in charge? Are all the good ones blind? Or are they all just tiny, all little tiny types of Cardinal O'Cleary? And they're frightened that if they had burst the bubble, the sludge had come out and cover their own faces with filth. Is that what it is? So now he says, out with it, Father Damien. 
out with it, Damien Christian was getting too good at reading Slattery's eyes. Now, when Damien came out with what wasn't the answer to Gladstone's questions, but a series of questions of his own, he says, doesn't it all seem to tie up, Chris? Don't you put it together, um, uh, if you put it together, I, I mean. There's Cardinal O'Cleary's decision to ordain three priests who have been shown to be homosexually active. There's the matter of all those pedophilic priests who are all moved, um, uh, moved about by their bishops and the consistent refusal to lay aside known offenders. There's the special fund that the bishops have had to set up to pay hundreds of millions of dollars in out-of-court settlements. There's the evidence that Wogdilla, the detective, found linking Century City to Bishop Russiton in uh, Virginia and linking Russiton's mother chapel to the other dioceses all over the landscape. And now this map points to a de facto connection between pedophilic homosexuality and ritualistic Satanism among the clergy. And now it goes on down. And in the end... Gladstone had to ask the questions that might make his own situation untenable. If such an effort was underway against the church, how far did Slattery think it reached in the hierarchy? And then he asks, does it reach as high as Mastroianni and the other cardinals I've been working with? Do you suppose it reaches to that level? That's the first time that he asked the question. And then, of course, he vocalizes it on page 451 when he says... Now, though Slattery had given another reason, if Luca Damo was right about the nature of the Strasbourg meeting, then Gladstone wasn't being groomed for anything. He was being used right now as a stupid pawn, as an unwitting gull in a filthy game of anti-papal politics. The work he had been doing for Mastriani, those touchy-feely questions uh, he had been asking the bishops concerning their uh, their person. Um, her perceptions of, of the Pope, all of those exhaustive debriefs, briefings in Mastriani's office, all of the favors he'd been doing for bishops at Mastriani's request, all of it being used to further a plot against the Pope. And he says, quote, you have no idea what's been going on. Christian took his fury out on himself and on Mastriani. Quote, you don't know the extent of my career as a water carrier for those bastards. It's all supposed to be super confidential, and now I can see why. And, uh, we finally established that he is going to become now a double agent, which is great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think of um, this scene. I was rereading right, right as I jumped on. I think of uh, Edmund Dantes when he's been educated by the priest uh, in in Chateau d'If, and he's putting it together what all of the conspirators against him who put him in Chateau d'If and framed him for murder and treason have done and he's trying to figure out the pyramid at the top who's the pyramid and he's like how did this work and then when he figures it out somehow the priest is really smart he figured it out first but then edmund kicks the chair and he's it's it's a major moment that's how i imagined uh, poor poor christian in this scene where he's he's figured out that he's been played and now there's there's a number of ways to go about selecting the dish of revenge it's 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 a bitchin' scene i'm not gonna lie oh yeah and you and 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 the end of that scene right there is just another great example I, I put this aside just because it's another great great example of just good writing a, a great way to end the scene and end the section that is you know as you just said chris is just he just is just a bit beside himself knowing he's been used and he's putting it all together <laughs> and now comes damien Damien was already on his feet, but Chris still wanted some answer to his problem of how to handle Mastroianni and the others who had used him the way a pimp uses a whore. Well, I'll tell you, me darling lad, 
Damien unleashed his his broadest brogue, as you said before, a grin to his to, to match it as well. But his advice couldn't have been more serious. He said this, and I just love this line. It's a great way to end the scene. He says, it's the oldest formula in the book for men who are sent like sheep among wolves. When we get back to Rome, you'll be as wise as a serpent. You'll be as simple as a dove. In short, you'll be a priest. And I, I it's, 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 it's just great. And I love it. That's what you call it. It's right, right out of uh, scripture, right, right out of New Testament. It's like that. That's what a priest of Christ is called to be: is gentle as a dove and and wise as a serpent. It's yeah. I, I got goosebumps when I read that line. Actually, what you did know, you, Frank? Yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna switch to a better connection. I, I've been trying it on my phone. I'm just gonna go to my setup here. I'll, well, I'll be right back. Okay, you got it. Sounds good. I apologize. Yeah. No, no problem. No problem at all. Uh, um, let me see here. I'll leave the link open so we can jump in again. Yeah, um, I'm coming in. I'm okay. coming in right now. Unmute your mic. Admit, and you're back. Oh, wow. Yeah, there Switch. it is. There, there switching be. around. There it be. Yeah, I just, now I can actually look at my, my PDF on my phone. I have all my, my shit marked on my PDF on my phone, so that's why I was disappearing when I was looking up uh, pages that I... I get you. I get. Well, then let me ask you this. Let me just let you uh, talk about this a little bit. What did you think about? I, I'll call it a coma dream for the Pope. Obviously, he's under the surgeries being performed, but he has this dream under yeah. under the um, you know in this unconscious state as he's under the anesthesia, and it's very prophetic. He is trying to. He's trying to really get the attention of everybody from Sister Lucia to Christian to Master Oriani. He seems to be pleading with everyone, warning them about a coming destruction, but no one hears him. And in, this, in the dream sequence, uh, through it's about a page and a half. Nobody hears him. He's trying to get attention, and nobody's listening to him. And it ends with him abandoning all hope with everybody else and just asking for help and intervention from Archangel Michael. What did you think about this entire dream, what it signifies, and yeah? Well, it's very interesting. Again, this is the third-person omniscience uh, greatest asset, this narrative tone, because we're sitting here puzzling out as a, it's not the main question, but it's got to be a secondary or tertiary main theme in the book, The, the, the question about character that Christian Gladstone entertains vis-a-vis the Slavic Pope. You know, he's talked to his most, his two most trusted advisors about it now. Mm. Um, two of three, including that, that German priest that is a f- family friend. And he's trying to figure out John Paul II. Well, now we get a peek not only into the private thoughts of John Paul II, but the subconscious thoughts of John Paul II. And there's Fatima imagery. A lot. Um, a lot, which which insinuates good guy. I, I mean, for for people out there that are like, what what is what does all this mean? If if somebody is a partisan of of Fatima, it means they're a good guy. And John Paul II was was known as a partisan of Fatima, though he's a bit of a ri- riddle wrapped in an enigma. That's that's not just Christian Gladstone. That's all of us. Are like, what the heck? He hated communism. That's based, but. You know, he, he had this wild kind of let's invite all the world in without making them convert first 
ecumenism and, and that's that's untrustworthy mm. that's the mark of the, the masons in the church so i what i thought when i read uh w- with that sequence frank is just this is a peek inside his private thoughts and this is a good sign i mean we're not being tricked by the the narration mr he can't you know jump into his thoughts and, and trick us so it basically proved slattery half correct in all of the machinations and guesses taken about the private motivations of JP2 and it made Carnesecca half correct but it did confirm that JP2 is a man of goodwill mm. you know as as the term goes that's what I, that's the main thing i thought yes it was it was definitely one of those things where i i read that i read it twice because it was just so so much imagery flashing uh, in your mind's eye as you read it there. And then speaking of Carnesecca, the very next thing is his death. Uh, we we knew that they were coming after him. I, I, I didn't see any situation in which Father Aldo was going to make it to the end of the book, and it's a horrific death, too. Uh, someone had replaced his eye drops with a corrosive form of acid. Uh, it burns right through to his brain. Quick, he runs out of his bedroom screaming, screaming for help. He breaks his neck, and God knows how many other bones on the way down a marble staircase and that's just man yeah i i i I thought that we were going to get news that he was run off the road and of course they already tried that but the the acid in the eyes tim damn well we we've seen from the uh the ritual killings these these guys mean business and they're the most wicked guys in the world and uh one of the, the prayers, you know, we always say it within our rosaries is prayer prayer for a happy death, you know, and that's that's something that I'm sure Carnesecca indulged. It's a it's a common plea of the rosary sayer, but that he was not indulged in that aspect. So and well, rough. well, the other thing that we don't know too much about just yet that was another great little uh, uh, occurrence was that he had made special uh, special arrangements to make sure that his diary his diary was delivered safely to those he knows he can trust so they are damian slattery and chris and chris are in possession of father aldo's uh, um, diary which i have to imagine is going to contain some some kind of key clue a key piece to what happened at the mother chapel because of course he was actually uh privy to being able to uh, privy to those uh, those documents in 1978 when they were making room for for the Slavic Pope to come in after the September Pope died, or the well, I guess that, that that's what they called John Paul I, the September Pope. Yes. yes okay. Sir. So he 33 day pontificate. Right. 33. Yeah. There's there's another Masonic. Jeez. Uh, I mean, there's, there's a lot. Go- oh, there's so much. All right. Yeah. Let's go to, let's see here. That's, um, so after they killed Father Aldo on 457 here, I have this nice line that I think is really interesting. And I, I brought it up tonight on the show where uh, Christian is talking to himself. Maybe Slattery was right, he said. Maybe there was some theoretical cutoff point between Luciferian thinking and the outright dedication to the prince of this world. And I thought about that. That's really a, a big cultural phenomenon here in the United States, especially since um, those who are dedicated to those forces have first spent so much time getting people below them to believe that there is nothing to worry about, nothing to believe in. 
and uh, and you see it in the streets. You see it with everybody who has thrown themselves into these really um, horrible political movements, violent, uh, racist, segregating, uh, self-worship. It, it's just it's just terrible. I just wanted to bring that up. It's a little bit of once again what kind of people we're dealing with today in the general population. But then we have um, then we have a really on page four sixty three. Can you can you want to? Do you just want to weigh in there, Frank? I'm always this like yeah, principled puritanical uh, equipoise on that question. I'm always like, there are two sides, right? You're you're for heaven or you're against heaven. But I don't know. It, there's there's an interesting case to be made here. It's a big question, you know. Like can't we kind of know behind the scenes that Maestroani knows more what he's doing than. Uh, than, than the two protagonists are guessing at. So what, what did you think? I thought it was really cool that they're wrestling with that theme. Uh, I, I think I've never had any doubt in my mind that my, Maestriani is, uh, knows what he's advancing. I don't think, I don't think so. I think Who's the he, only man he trusts? Who's the only man that he, he will take a note from without getting pissed off and get, without getting his... Uh, B- Benthok, right? Knickers. Yeah, Benthok. He's, that's his... That's that's as uh, Luciferian as it gets. Yeah. So I, I think we have we have a little more info than what's that called? Dramatic irony? We yeah. have a little more info than either of our two protagonists who are kind of guessing about it. We we have that as a certitude that Maestroani really is full card-carrying member. Yes, absolutely. I mean, uh, it's, uh, multiple times in this book it has already come up how the, the, the ranks of Masons inside of the hierarchy itself is... Is overwhelming, and I guess that would be a, a major part of the infiltration and the actual, um, you know, the plan there. I there, there's so much there to even to, to talk about, especially when we get more into the into the the Russian aspect. But you know, but like I said, going uh, going ahead a little bit more, to 463. There's a wonderful scene, a wonderful moment between Christian and his sister Trisha. I'm glad that she got this scene because, you know, you can tell that she was a, a doting daughter, uh, a, a woman of faith, and uh, a, a one of those soft-spoken members of the family who was afflicted with one problem or another. But now we learn, we hear her, and we learn of her sacrifice and her almost like her deal that she made with God to help um, to help bring some kind of restitution in a wayward priest life and how her physical problems are a manifestation of something that she sacrificed herself for and how still she's just so calmly supportive and a, a really warm presence there and I'm, I'm glad that she got this scene because we didn't know too much about her character beforehand and this was just really wonderful I think yeah we've had insinuations that she worked out some 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 deal with God, unilateral deal with God, and uh, yeah, got got that deal fleshed out finally. Yes, they've mentioned it a couple times, and you're like, did I miss something? Right. Yeah, absolutely. Now here is the other thing we got: four sixty nine to four seventy one. We're getting closer to the end here. I think the last page was four seventy nine. Uh, this is where we have the Slavic Pope. He uh, is. This is where uh, the Far East, the East, Eastern Europe, Russia starts becoming a little bit more in frame here and he's not being fooled by what the repositioning and the reshuffling of the world powers again here he says never in world history had two such had two such dire and thoroughgoing enemies 
the former superpower adversaries of the Cold War become so reconciled and so trustful in such a short time and with so little ceremony as the, as the capitalist West and the newly dismembered East. The Pope was too dutiful a pastor for the obvious religious significance of such a geopolitical shift to escape him, and he was too fine a geopolitician to doubt that the years since 1989 had been a seeding time for what was now about to wrap itself around the Society of Nations and the Roman Catholic Church as a universal institution. There's one other po- uh, one other thing there. He pays uh, sarcastic, uh, dubious reference to the ouster of Gorbachev. He puts that in um, in quotations, knowing it wasn't an ouster. This is all part of a deal. And then we have this on the page of uh, 471, the bottom paragraph. What made the Slavic Pope's geopolitical antenna vibrate during his time of rest and recuperation at Castel Gandolfo were the, uh, were the results he anticipated from that seating. Is it not a wonder to behold, with a wry smile, the Holy Father asked Monsignor Daniel the critical questions, is it not wholly new configuration of the once monolithically solid USSR a wonder to behold? And are not the bonds being forged between the USA and the new Russia under the title of Partnership for Peace an even greater wonder? Once there was the Soviet Union, now in the blink of an eye we behold Russia, and we see all of its former component parts... He's all the former component parts, so-called new independent states, the NIS. Russia and the NIS are now described in the West as the CIS, the Commonwealth of Independent States. So he understands that there is a, um, there's a completely new shift in the reality of, of the world, and it's not in any way, shape, or form organic. And um, it does beg the question as to how staged to a degree, and managed the entire Cold War was for slowly bringing the world to this point. Because we know, I mean, that our, our, our government was completely infested with Soviets during the height of the Cold War. So what was this really all about? The arms race, everything. Um, go ahead. Yeah, like like Venona Papers type stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I... I I don't know how much you talk about this on your show. But a lot. If you, and I've never gone through like all of them aside from the highlights. Uh, foreign policy isn't my thing. Constitution and Thomism are my kind of two dual headings on my show. But the Venona Papers are, just in case you haven't said it more voluminously, which you probably have, absolute complete like vindication for Joseph McCarthy. So... Yeah, I've only begun thinking along these channels, such as what you just said, Frank, over the last um, two and a half years. Like, ho- holy shit, the, this whole thing could have been COVID-19. You know, COVID-1946 or whatever, no, COVID-1948. It, it could have all been staged. The world elites play on the same playground, and it's all kabuki theater. You don't want to black pill, but yeah. Are you there? No, well, you- what, what, black pill? Well, are you fully there? I guess it's not a black pill. In a, in a, in a sense, it's a white pill, right? It's yeah. a white pill on the 20th century. But, I mean, is that where you're at fully, it, just the it, Cold War is yeah. kabuki? Uh, I, I'm, I'm, starting, I'm starting to get to, to at least 
being able to accept that it's not what I thought it was. And if you can get to that point, then you're going to be, uh, you're going to, your mind is going to be fertile for all types of new information and new perspectives. And as you're talking about, now I know that it's not fiction, but it's also a very big book. And maybe one day we can do a nonfiction book. And if we ever did that, I don't know if you ever read it. It's called Blacklisted by History. It's from heard of it. His name, the the author's name is M. Stanton Evans, and it's about the story of Joseph McCarthy. You want to see just how effed up this is, man? Oh man! I have to read it again. It's important to read it. Uh, I think that everybody should read it. But uh, and I don't know how it would do in a book club, just because it's it really is dense, but it is eye opening. And yeah, this is this is huge right here because. In these pages in the 470s, they're really getting down into what's what's happening. And around 474 is where we have Guttmacher come back into the picture here. And 474, uh, the one who verbalizes what's going on with Gorbachev and Russia and um, is Guttmacher when he meets with the Pope. So listen to this. It is... Um, he says this is the, the bottom lines in 474 leading to 475. In his first and briefest session with the Pope, Guttmacher confirmed the Pope's analysis. Something new is starting over there, Holiness. It's happening almost in silence, but it's real. You can feel it. The people sense it. Yet I doubt if, it, I, I doubt if even a third of them yet realize what's really happening to their territories and nations or to themselves as human beings. But there's always the exceptions, Father Angelo, the pontiff returned from the window and its shining blue vista of Lake Gandolfo. In that part of the world, there's always the ones who know. You've talked to many of them, I'm sure. Holy Father, what they're saying over there is that something has been set in stone. A new system is in place. Most of the people I spoke to don't like what's happened, but they stress to me their sense that the East and the West have reached a definitive settlement. They use that word all the time, holiness, definitive. So you think about where we are right now, where those last of those Eastern Bloc states, the Scandinavian states, Ukraine, Kazakhstan, everybody trying to join NATO except Russia. And, of course, Russia itself has been the target of this, these kind of uh, hopefully infiltrative a little bit more. Uh, Vladimir Putin has been on everybody's radar for a long time. Um, the World Economic Forum, uh, obviously KGB, you wonder where he came from and whether or not, of course, some people just start finding their own resolve and start thumbing their nose to who were once allies or handlers or whatever. And you wonder where we are right now at this, at this point. But I'll tell you, there is some Illuminati, Freemasonic, Luciferian uh, history here that started coming to mind that I've studied over the years. And i got to send you a link to, to a few things that you should listen to. But what I started thinking about was the, um, the whole idea that we are really... Just it's a reminder that we're up against a thousand year old death cult or even more. And back during the, the Napoleonic Wars, all sides of that war were financed by different branches of the same banking family, the Rothschilds chief among them. And after the Napoleonic Wars were concluded between Russia and England and France and all this stuff, the, <clears throat> the Council of Vienna was called 
afterwards to attempt to actually bring a war-weary, broke world into a first form of the League of Nations. This is how far out they were trying to get this shit done. But really? Yeah, wow. but yeah, but Tsar Alexander, though, in Russia, could probably pretty much smelled what the hell was going on and torpedoed the whole thing. Said no thanks. We are we're going to maintain our own our own sovereignty there. And many people who have studied these these hidden these hidden chapters of history or these more nuanced chapters of history because people have learned about the Napoleonic Wars, but. As far as looking at other parallel timelines, this is where most people said that the seeds for the 1917 Bolshevik Revolution was planted because they were so pissed off that the Tsar, they wanted to destroy the Tsar for, for, for getting in the way. They wanted to be able to bring this down. And they brought in communism as a weapon. They introduced abortion in the, in the 1920s. You have, I don't know if you ever read the, the absolutely terrible... Um, the Patesti, uh, the Patisti experiments. You ever read that? No. no. Um, this was this took place in communist Romania from between like 1949 and 1951. It is the most stomach churning, egregious things, torture sessions that I- I've ever read about in detail. Uh, that they were doing to Christians out there, the communist front. Um, how they were forcing them into just sacrilege and it, it is it is horrible and you think about how this was all part of a front that was planned and it of course this is something that I always re- think about to remind myself that beyond all of the the useful communist stooges out there there is definitely a communion with something very dark something very supernatural that's driving it all and um, when I read these chapters now that get more focused on Russia, it, it, it makes me think just how we are still part of that same timeline. And maybe that destruction of Russia, the spilling into Asia, of course, the infiltration in, in the United States. Then they got the Soviet Union. And if you have this kind of a, a, a fake war up against each other, where obviously there is some real tension there, but, obvious, but the, there's people that are invested again in both sides of it. What happens at the end of that fall where you start learning new alliances, you bring everybody together, and Russia, which you would think that it was just at the end of a nearly 80-year scourge of atheistic communism, they might be brought to heel. But instead, slowly, very slowly, they started regaining some foothold in Christianity. They got rid of communism. They kept the police state, obviously, but they got rid of communism, and there's just a little bit, a little bit of a turning. And maybe... Maybe this is what they, how hopefully they thought this was going to go with the reforming of the world, but this just was crossing my mind. I, I don't know how, how uh, what I'm missing, though. Did you know that in, um, that's all very interesting, obviously. I'm not just talking past it. But on that note, in 1918, uh, the emperor of, I'm actually um, friends with, by Twitter, he's a follower of mine and watches my show, Uh you know, one of the Holy Roman Emperor's uh, relatives with the same last name. What? And a relative of Blessed Carl. Yeah, he, he in 1918, he was told, he was contacted by the P2 Masons. This is all on public record. And they said, um, you are going to be, together with the Vatican, the last European sovereign to be a monarchy. We're going to take you down. We're going to remove you. And the, the 20th century mechanism for using masonry is going to be Marxism. 
and within six months he was gone it's not not blessed carl um it is uh one of one of uh his his pals in austria austria hungary right and uh yeah yeah it's it's crazy crazy stuff but uh we you know we've been promised like me and me and my wife have been promised a tour of a, a castle if we ever go to austria oh that sounds and, dude that sounds awesome it's based but it's crazy like i had always guessed at the stuff you're talking about where i'm like yeah marxism you know marx was a mason stalin was a mason and then i know they outlawed masonry and all that in soviet russia but uh it seems like just a temporary transitory mechanism for instituting masonic luciferian globalism in the 20th century and then i found that and uh boy that's really really convincing stuff when you can start piecing it all together i yeah uh, i have to i have to send you some links to myron fagan and a few other things i think that you would uh, some enjoyable listening i think that you would really get a kick out of it and Dude, i'm yeah. i'm starting to think that this there's just so much more here and as far as finishing up the timeline of this book um we have so the slavic pope he's not fooled by this quick reunion between east and west um, and then we have, after 475 with Guttmacher, we have a quick check-in on the scheming cardinals, led by Mestroianni, who are planning to have this common mind vote with the bishops by spring, to establish that there is the common mind vote, by the way, that's what Christian Gladstone has been brought into. They're trying to establish that there is an irreconcilable disunity in the church, and that the use, um, they need to use that to force a resignation of JP2. And then finally, to end all of this, we get a lot of references in this section uh, that we've been reading for this week. A lot of references to Fatima, as you said, and the Blessed Mother's 1917 warnings, but none more prominent than the end of, uh, end of chapter 41, when Father Guttmacher presents the Pope with this gruesome Russia video cassette that depicts how babies are being aborted, slaughtered, and their parts are being categorized and made to order, which we know is going on right here. It's publicly funded. The NIH is doing it, Planned Parenthood. But this was back then. And I think it's around nine, uh, page 479, it's the end here, is where I think we get a little bit of a nod to some sliver of what was in the third secret, where he says this, the Pope was too horrified to speak. For some time after the tape had ended, too horrified, too stunned by the parallel between the gross, organized, market-oriented atrocities he had watched and what he knew had been predicted in the Fatima message of 1917. Now, knowing that the author of this book read The Third Secret, to think that any sliver of that would be, of course, the wholesale slaughter, abortions, um, just a human meat grinder culture... That is, that is coming to such a celebratory levels right now, as gut-wrenching as it is, um, I, I can see why, if that is just even a thumbnail sketch of the kind of stuff that's in The Secret, I can see why Father Martin would always say to people guessing what was in it, no, 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 it's not horrible enough. So yeah. Remember the section around page 430, Frank, where he's talking, uh, who is it? It's the uh, American CIA guy. Shit, I'm 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 just slipping all of the names. Appleyard. Appleyard, thank you. You 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 are always all over these names. That's so, okay. That's good. Yeah, Appleyard's talking about the US as the main importer exporter of abortion in in um 
contraceptive control, population control. And they, they talk about the secret sale of uh, aborted baby parts. And it's like a, they, they have a secret way to ship it underground. And it's like a pink juice. It's a horrible, horrible, horrible stuff. Um, also, about 20 pages before that, there is another reference to uh, abortion. The pedo-satanic priests are, are using aborted baby parts that they, they talk about, like, mobile uh, graveyards for them, which I knew a priest uh, that got in trouble for being a pedo in one of my hometowns. I won't say who, who had – it was rumored – something something similar i'm not i'm not naming names here but it made me think of that too uh oh you know whereas before i just figured oh maybe he's giving some burial ground to uh, aborted babies now it's like the aborted baby market is a huge black market and it's hugely important for the anti-sacrament of abortion uh, for the black masses it's a yeah. huge thing so there are big abortion tie-ins this last reading that I haven't gotten since then. Remember, the third secret, I think, is all about, you know, the apostasy in the church, and everyone loses when there's apostasy in the church. And stuff like abortion is very closely tied to it through the, the black masses that, are, that keep coming in and out of the act. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, um, that, that seems like it would be, I mean, hell. That's where we're heading toward right now, and I want to get into some of these super chat, these um, these these po people in the thread now. From summer summer seven eleven says page four forty five, Gorbachev sends the Pope a well wish, while no one else does. What is the significance of that? Uh, four seventy five. Uh, that's four forty five. Four seventy five. Why doesn't Mastroianni want him to go to Russia? Yes, doesn't want him to go to Russia, because I think Mastroianni. I. Uh, I, I think that he knows how dedicated to Fatima and the Blessed Mother the Slavic Pope is. And at the very least, we, as we know from the beginning of the book, he was just so... Um, he thinks it's very cringe. Uh, he, at the very least, he thinks that the entire devotion is cringe and old-fashioned, and he's part of a, a process that is trying to strip away old supernatural traditions from this new world order that they're trying to bring in. I don't know if it go, I, 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 Tim, obviously, if you, if you see that going even deeper, then um, it, it probably, it, it, I, I don't see why it wouldn't go deeper, but I know on the very surface level, that would be one thing. He he thinks the entire devotion to Fatima is very cringe and needs to be done away with if we're going to secularize the church in any in any uh, quick timeline. The the deeper layer is that uh, the Vatican engaged an official policy from the '60s through the '80s through the late '80s called Ostpolitik, which was don't do anything to piss off the, so, the, the, the church in Russia, the Orthodox Church in Russia, or the Russians. This is, a, according to uh, famed exorcist, who I, I know you're, you're, you're interested in some of his, his works, Frank, um, who was sitting five feet away from JP2 when he was supposed to do the consecration of Russia to the Immaculate Heart of Mary. It was like the ninth time it had failed in 60 years. Uh, a group of dark prelates, probably the Maestroianis of the, the real world, surrounded him 
And, uh, and according to this famous uh, Vatican uh, exorcist, who we've talked about in a couple of our, our shows, said that they were just saying, no, don't mention Russia. Now, the other half of this is that Russia, according to the second secret of Fatima, is supposed to be, after the end of the Cold War, a part of the solution. So, and there's even a 2012 prophecy by a, a, an Italian mystic, Catholic, who says uh, that, that Kiev and Russia relations have something to do with Fatima. And he said this before <clears throat> Benedict left left the pontifical chair. So it's, it's very deep stuff, and I don't know exactly what the implications are, but Russia is entirely woven into, I don't want to say eschatology, but, but the JP2 pontificate and the deeper implications of the JP2 pontificate via, like you just said, Frank, Fatima. Hmm. So, well, there you go. We just went deeper. Um uh, page 476, this is still from Summer uh, Summer 7-Eleven. Uh, another mention of the pictures of Helsinki on Messriani's apartment. What is the significance of this repetition? Uh, th- there was another summit there in Helsinki. I think that, I think it's just, I don't know. I don't know. I, I haven't thought about it, though, so it's, it's a good observation. I didn't even think about it, that there's more to it. I just figure that Mastroianni likes to be surrounded by the pretty things he's collected along his journeys, which, of course, is all part of a side business that he has created from his office in Rome. Um, uh, 477, more on the U.S. population control. At 478, selling the fetuses, I got chills reading this. Like Frank said, this book is turning out to be a manual for navigating our current time. Um, Kenzie. Kenzel says the population control section made my mouth agape. Things we already knew corroborated once again by another source. There are no coincidences here. Uh, at CM Maxon said, I'm so glad that you summarized this chapter. I read the first chapters in one day and then stumbled through the last chapter for days, unable to focus. I was just asked someone to bullet point so I could retain it, so thank you. Um... Kenzel again says, as a Christian in Slattery discussed, Mastriani is truly Luciferian in the nature or just a pro-Luciferian elements of the church, uh, Vatican to be facilitated throughout the new church via the process. Gladstone finally realizes and admits to himself that Slattery had been used, uh, he had been used as a pawn in the anti-papal plot. Yes, so everybody saw that too. It's great for him to finally come around to it. Uh, Page 471. In 1991, at the Waldorf Astoria in New York, Henry Kissinger, officials from the Rockefeller Brothers Fund, Carnegie Endowment, International Peace, the Ford Foundation, and Pew and Mellon Funds, all guaranteed to supply Gorbachev Foundation with a startup of $3 million. This could have been lifted from the killing of Uncle Sam. Yeah, absolutely could have. That, That book is amazing, too. So many great quotes have stuck out to me in this book. Um, uh, Many have related to my own struggles of this world. And here's another. I'll end with this. This is from Trisha. Quote, God's purpose in allowing evil, Father Angelo told me once, is uh, uh, Father Angelo told me once, is to bring about a greater good. He said that in that the victory of Christ, each holy victim is victorious. And he said that in the victory of each victim, Christ is again victorious. Hmm. Beautiful. Yes. Um, let's see here. Appropriate Mess, 1911, says, 
I am continually floored by this book's parallel to today. For example, Slattery is punished by the Century City Cardinal for snooping around too much. I instantly thought of Archbishop Cordelion uh, in San Francisco being passed over for promotion for, well, doing his actual job. One thing I'm curious about regarding the description of satanic activity, like in the prologue, I know that priests and religious are a special target of the devil, obviously, but I just keep wondering, how do they become involved with it to start with? How does a person who pledges his or her life to service in God and care of souls do a 180 and now participates in black masses and so forth? I can only speculate on the enticement of worldly pleasures that slowly breaks down and pulls a person away from his or her vocation, but there has to be a starting point, i.e. participation in a dark ritual, where the priest or nun or whoever is like, okay, totally cool with this. I guess that is my question, and I apologize if it took so long for me to get to it. I am reminded, too, of Malachi Martin's comment with Art Bell on a person being perfectly possessed and content with it. Could that be it? Love the book, Club Frank. Can't wait for the next one. When uh, Windswept House is done. So, yeah, that, that is something there. I um, I would love to ask, I would love to ask a guest in the future, what is the, what is the allure? I mean, what do, do people still go in? I mean, we know from Paul, from Paul's time in the seminary, why he left. Because he saw that people were being trained and encouraged to secularize, to fetishize, to become a lot more lax and a lot more sexual and a lot more open-ended and getting away from those old, um, you know, those vows, vows of chastity, even if it's just heterosexual chastity. Um, I, I, I would have to say that maybe the grooming starts in the seminaries. Uh, then again, before the seminary, what makes people on the outside even want to go to the seminary anymore? That's what I want to know, uh, because the culture we know is is largely a groomer culture. So, what want makes somebody want to go in? I, I I guess maybe just the just the I don't know the the whole demeanor of church life, and this is across all denominations because we see all these the, we see this happening in every church, every community. There's something like this has has popped up over the last thing. So it's not just the the Catholic the catholic church it's just the most prominent so i don't know what do you think tim where does that even where does that that path start i think it's a little more direct uh remember the testimony before the house commission on on american activities uh by a reverted bella dodd who was an american spy who had worked directly for stalin her job was to implant implant in place 1100 uh, homosexual communist men into the seminaries and when she reverted she, she, she swore before you know house or senate um, commission that she'd done this worked directly for Stalin and when she reverted the, the person who reverted her was the uh, cardinal archbishop of century cities nemesis the goodly about to be saint uh Archbishop uh, Fulton Sheen, good man, uh, nemesis with uh, with uh, the major, major uh, American antagonist in this novel. He reverted her, and she told him, and she also told Alice von Hildebrand, who recently passed away at about 97 years old, and her husband, Dietrich von Hildebrand, one of the 20th century's great uh, liturgists in the church. She told the pair of them, the three of them, 
that she had done this. She said, look, I was tasked by Stalin himself to corrupt the church, and there's no CIA vetting process for the seminaries. This is how you get all of the black mass, Satanist, homosexualist, pedo guys in the priesthood. They have to be brought in. So they're brought in as double agents. They're plants. So they relieve, re, they receive the ontological mark of priest on the soul, but they go in with a bad will. And this is also reflected by a couple other documents. The, uh, what is it? The Confessions of AA 1025, hmm. which was a, uh, a dossier received after a motorcycle accident by a communist plant in the Canadian church. A uh, French Canadian nun, uh, ten, uh, nurse nun tended to him. And he had no name aside from uh, 1025. And he was one of uh, Bella Dodd's 1,100 plants, allegedly. She told Archbishop Fulton Sheen and Alice von Hildebrand that four or five of her 1,100 plants had risen as high as you can go in the curia, in the cardinalate, by the way. Oh. And, and then, then, you know, the nun, nurse, uh, uh, received those documents, confessions of AA 1025. And if we go a little bit further back into the 19th century... Interception by Pius IX's Cardinal Secretary of State of the, the permanent instruction of the Alta Vendita, which was the highest Italian Masonic Lodge, saying that what they're going to be doing over the next hundred years, middle 1800s to middle 1900s, was precisely that, going to the seminaries and get essentially a Sankt Gallen Mafia who makes a pope that might not have actually been a Mason but just had one mind with them. And so they're going to the seminary. So it's all. And then there's a book called Goodbye, Good Men, how the, the seminaries were all gay and they were all implanted as gay. So I think that's the answer to the question pretty what, directly. What was you, know. you said the Alta Vendita was 18th century or 19th? 19th century, like 1800s. Yeah. OK, because uh, it, it's incredible. I know that like um, Adam Weishaupt, who was a Jew who became who converted who went to Catholicism and and then became I uh, hold on and then it was the the Mason what the hell was it hold on a second is Adam Weishaupt he was the one that came uh, who really put together the whole idea of the Illuminati and he finished his work on May 1st 1776 I mean that's why we have May Day uh, this is where it all this is where it all comes together but even those writings those were intercepted. There were, there were a couple of really key interceptions that could have saved the world. This they could have definitely saved France from its bloody revolution. Um, of uh, George Washington was was uh, was a little bit too much because even the American Revolution, in in some respects, they say was instigated by these types of disrupting forces. But of course, uh, George Washington was a little bit more uh, too much for them to handle, I believe. Um, but it's interesting how all these intercepted messages could have been, how some of them have, have helped and others have been ignored and we're really paying the price for it. It's just incredible. I have to, I can't wait to get a little bit more into the Alta Vendita because I, I, I know that there's, there's something there to learn from. Let's get a little bit more here. Moira in New York City says, Frank, it's taken me much self-discipline not to read ahead. I appreciate this book club enabling me to savor the beautiful prose and details including included by Malachi Martin. These 40 pages were powerful and quite emotional, a brilliant weaving of family, friendships, loss against the background of faith and geopolitics. 
Trisha and Father Aldo Carnesecca figuratively and literally giving up their lives as faithful servants of God. The, Sla- the Slavic Pope's frightening prophetic delirium at the beginning of these pages and tears, his tears upon hearing of the horrible organ harvesting of the Russian abortionists at the end. Um, the uh, MCH nurse here crying along with him. Full circle of demonic imagery and actions in these 40 pages. So much for the partnership for peace in the early 1990s, Russia and U.S. joining forces to achieve geopolitical goals, clearly deep state and deep church building up against the Slavic Pope on his mission from Our Lady of Fatima. Will the secret ever be revealed? And then finally we have here, our last comment, is at CM Axon. Says, even though I knew Father Aldo was going to be murdered soon, I still cried when it happened, and again when Christian got the call. Bastards. Yes. Yeah, though, it's, it's, been, it's been serious. Let's see here. Um, in the chat room right now, PJ says, no good seminaries. All have gone woke. John Otter, I have not finished yet, Jerry. I'm still, I'm still, uh, let's see here, deep planting. Oh, they're, they're talking about something else. Talking about planting gardens, I think. Um... We're talking about plants, uh, Russians. I know, yeah, Soviet plants, they're planting gardens. Yeah. Let's see. Um, Oh, everybody's having a good time. Anyway, but still, that's all I have over here, Tim. This is session seven. What I have come up with for our next segment is uh, like another 50 pages. I figure at this point I want to savor it. The first couple of weeks we did 100 at a time, but we started off at... I mean, we left off at 479, and I picked the end of chapter 45. So that's 523. From 479 to page 523, we'll be faced with the beginning of chapter 46. So 479 to 523. That's what we will do for next Friday night, June the 10th. And my, oh, my, I can't wait. Anything else that's just uh, kicking around your head, Tim? Okay, a couple things here. Uh, number one, I'll be fast. I uh, This is a dumbass question. I didn't catch Trisha dying. Where, where, where did Trisha die? Die? She died? Which, no, which, no. That's, what, that's no. what that one question said, I thought. No, no, no. Well, uh, Father Aldo died. Father Aldo died. Yeah, I that, thought he said that both she, Father Aldo and Trisha. It was a literal. Life. It was a literal and a figurative sacrifice. She said. Yeah. So okay. Father Aldo is is he is he has left this earth, but okay. but Trisha it, it talked about how you know she pled with God Almighty to 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 let her take on some of the punishment for this wayward priest who had left and and gotten married and all that stuff. And she, so she offered herself up as a sacrifice for somebody else's redemption. So uh, I, even though it's not necessarily figurative, because it's once again a, a physical offering of oneself, but still, uh, obviously, it wasn't the ultimate price that Father Aldo had uh, had paid for sure. So, yeah, no, Trisha is still alive. Okay, okay, we're, we're good there then, because I was like... I. I mostly caught up this past week. I, I was about ten pages shy of where where you stopped, but um, I, I I wanted to make sure I hadn't missed it. No, no, you have not. You have not. But there's also something else going on with you over there. You you were telling me about a uh, a situation with uh, with somebody you know and and um, a, a child in need. Please let everybody know about this because I I'm I'd like to help. 
Yeah, thanks, Frank. I've, I've, you know, I've come to you guys with with a GoFundMe before. This is actually my my godson, my uh, nephew. Uh, just yesterday, uh, we found he had leukemia, and uh, it showed. You know, just just been a lot going on on my end. Um, so, if people want to help, first off, number one, we appreciate your prayers. His name is Theo Curvers. He's five and a half, going on six. And um, it's 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 my godson and my nephew, my my first cousin's son. Um, my first cousin is like my brother, and um, so it's just just created a real upset in my family. Obviously, uh, I've come to you guys before with fundraising for for I think another Catholic family or Christian family. Um, so if if people want to help, this is called uh, Help Theo Curvers K U R V E R S Beat Leukemia. Organized by Dan Fitzpatrick. That is Help Theo Curvers Beat Leukemia. Organized by Dan Fitzpatrick. It's been a weird couple days because um, he's a real, real, real special kid. And uh, it, was, it was hard to talk to my cousin yesterday. They've had a lot going on. And we're getting those new digitized updates through their hospital. And it's just, <clears throat> it's just really weird. So, yeah, please, your prayers. And if you have. Have uh, any money to to kick over to them? Uh, you know they're going to be fighting this thing for them. They're going to have a fucking shitty next two or three years. That's just that's just what happens. These are the breaks. These are the beats. And um, you know you, you give it to God and suffer with Jesus on the cross. But it's tough to tell a five and a half year old kid. You know. Yes. Yes, it is, and I'm I'm uh, I'm so sorry. And I, you know, l- make sure you give me that link so I can put it in the description of this episode, and I'll also bring it up on one of the seven o'clock shows next week as well. And uh, and I, I have a very generous audience, and I'd like to to do something. You yes, you really do. I'm I, man. So everyone, just prayers, please, and whatever you have, you know, five bucks goes a real long way uh, for for my cousin and his family because they don't. At the beginning of it, you don't know where, where it's going to go. Well, one good bit of good news I wanted to bring out and I nearly forgot about is that Charles Coulomb, who is a man myth legend on his own accord, has agreed to join us either next Friday or the Friday after that, whatever's preferable to you, you Frank El Capitan. This is your, he, this is your friend who, know, who knew Malachi Martin. He had dinner with him in Malachi Martin's New York phase uh, many, many times, and has shared firsthand Malachi Martin lore. The guy's a myth. The guy is larger than life, Malachi Martin. Actually, so is Coulomb himself. Uh, Catholics in your audience will know. Oh, gosh. Huge personality. You'll love This Coulomb. is going to be great. Right. So then let's, yeah. you know what, let's let's book him as far out as we can. So if you say this week or next, uh, the, the 10th or the 17th, let's get him for June 17th. And... Um, then yeah, well, that's the only thing. Like, what what do we do? Do we uh, uh, because if we do book club that night, well, you know, we'll talk about this off air. It's great. Yeah, it's cool. great that he's uh, he's agreed to come on. Please send me over the the fundraising link because I'm going. I'll I'll make sure that everybody knows about it. And I thank you again for uh, another night uh, in the cockpit with me over here. Send my best to the family and uh, and yeah, man, I'm looking forward to session eight. You too, buddy. All right. Good night, everybody. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Timothy Gordon. And ladies and gentlemen, that's timothyjgordon.com. That's the end of uh, this week. It is 10 o'clock on the dot over here on the East Coast. If this was a a Saturday night, I would just be starting the broadcast. So I've been here since 5.30. Been live since 7. I've been working pretty much all day. Little breaks to go outside with the baby and... And just enjoy the day, work out, cook myself some lamb, broke my fast at 2 p.m. Now i got to eat something else. 
But it's the weekend, so I don't fast on the weekend. I can eat as much as I want, wherever I want. Thank you for the support. Thank you for everything. Email me. Get in on that link. And um, get in on the thread. Talk to each other. And Monday is a new week. Good night.